Hey everyone, welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I am your lovely host, Meg Ricci, and this podcast series is about demystifying women's hormonal issues and struggles and everything that dances in between. I have a great show lined up for you today because I have a great guest. Her name is Lear Keith. She is the acclaimed author of The Vegetarian Myth. She's a writer, a radical feminist, food activist, environmentalist. The woman just kicks butt. I'm just so excited to have a conversation with her today. And Lear had been a vegan for 20 years. So how did I come upon this amazing woman out on the West Coast? Well, back in late fall of 2020, I watched an incredible documentary, Sacred Cow. And actually, I'd been hearing about that film in production for a couple of years, and I couldn't wait for it to come out. And Diana Rogers, an amazing uh, dietitian, nutritionist. Um, she was a former researcher in bio biochemistry. She owns and operates a working organic for farm in New England. And I really highly respect and regard this woman. So Sacred Cow is a film that advocates for a better food system, one that includes well-raised grazing animals. It probes the fundamental moral and environmental nutritional quandaries we face in raising and eating animals. And this film project focuses its lens on the largest and perhaps most maligned of farm animals, the cow. So, Lier Keith was interviewed during this documentary, and I was so blown away by her journey. And I wanted to have her on the show and to share it with you because she spoke about being a hardcore vegan for 20 years and her way back to recovery when reintroducing meat and other animal products into her diet, including fish, that saved her life. And how did this happen? How did she make that 180? She saw a practitioner of Chinese medicine that spoke to her in a way I call it the come to Jesus moment that made her realize it was time to consider incorporating animal protein into her world because her health was broken. I follow the principles of Chinese medicine. I've been following them for 30 years. I've been a practitioner for over 26 years. And in Chinese medicine, it teaches us that animal protein is crucial for building strong blood and qi. Healthy qi and blood are necessary for all the organs and the systems to function well. Protein is the building block for our cells and creates the structural framework for hormones to develop. A healthy menstrual cycle, healthy fertility, for the production of neurotransmitters, for bone health. It helps to stabilize our blood sugar. So without further ado, Lear, I want to welcome you onto the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and what a wonderful introduction. I am over the moon to have you here because in my practice, I, you know, it's interesting. Since I've been down in Charleston, I've never worked with so many women that have become vegan and vegetarian. And many of them, lovely women that have come to my office and so many health issues that have been associated with such a lack of protein. And then these women having the courage and being brave enough to start incorporating it into their diets and suddenly they have a healthy period and they're not depressed and anxious and they're not having thyroid issues. But your story is really compelling and I'd like for you to share your story with our 
listeners today? Yeah, so I became a vegan when I was 16. And I did that in the way that most people do, which is you meet somebody who is already a vegetarian or a vegan and you become convinced. And it was very much a conversion experience. I was an incredibly idealistic, impassioned, a very engaged young person, which is all to the good. We need those people in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but I stumbled upon um, this, you know, this set of ideas that seemed to make sense. Um, you know, she, this other teenage girl was a vegan. Her whole family were vegans. They were super into it. And she had the whole thing down. Like she knew how to answer all my questions. She had brochures and this was long before the internet. So we weren't able to go online, but you know, I was absolutely convinced. And you know, a week or two later, that was it. I was like, well, I'm going to be a vegan too, because it answered all my questions. Right. Uh, you know, how can I make the world better? I was horrified by the idea of animal suffering. I could see that there was a lot of injustice in the world. I was very frightened about the future of the planet as a whole. And, you know, you, you walk into that vegan framework and they tell you that if you just do this one simple thing, if you stop eating animals, all of those concerns will be fixed. You can feed hungry people and you can save animals and you're going to fix the climate and, you know, there'll be enough food to go around. And also it'll have these great health benefits. So it's like all in one shopping. You just do this one simple act. It didn't seem like it was too much to ask. And of course, the brochures about factory farming are completely horrifying. And I think that was the thing mm -hmm. that really pushed me over the edge. Um, and I don't care what anybody eats at this point. It, I think everybody can agree that factory farming is a nightmare. Really, anybody with a pulse yeah. should say that this is just a terrible way to treat sentient beings. So I think we can all agree to that and, you know, work to stop that. But, you know, that was definitely one of the things that was, was most convincing to me. So I read all the books, you know, at that point, it was like Francis Moore LePay was the big one. And I, it was just more and more convincing to me that, oh, this is such simple information. If everybody just adopted this, indeed, we would have a better world. So I did that. And I did it pretty strongly for 20 years. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my friends ended up being either vegetarian or vegan. You know, when you when you move in certain circles, environmental circles and politically engaged circles and feminist circles, like everybody is trying to be a vegetarian or a vegan. And, you know, I was the one that was like the most hardcore. So you, you get a lot of, you know, claim for it. You get some respect like, wow, she believes it. So there's that, too, that everybody, you know, can see you as sort of you know, the guiding light through, you know, the fog ahead. It's like, no, no, be vegan. So I convinced quite a number of people as well that this was thing to do. Um, and we certainly had a lot of support from, you know, various, you know, ma even mainstream media was backing us up bit by bit that at that point, it was still the early 80s. So the high carb, low fat diet was all the rage, everybody was being told to do this. And then as more and more information came out about like, global warming and environmental collapse, you know, all that got backed up with sort of vegan propaganda. And it's really hard to question it. I mean, that's really right. the, the thing. It's like from every angle, you're being told this is the right thing to do. Uh, my health started to degrade almost instantly. And I, I look back on that now and I just can't believe that I didn't question it deeper, further, longer because, the, I mean, the problem was I had adopted it so strongly. And the thing about being a vegan is that it's never just what you eat. It really becomes 
you are. It's mm-hmm. your, your primary sense of self is I am this thing. It's never just, well, I'm going to try to eat this way. It's way bigger than that. You know, it's, it's your whole cosmology. It's everything about you affected by this decision. And, you know, you embrace it that way. So the problem is when you start to bump into information that's counter to the vegan worldview, you don't know what to do with it. I mean, I just would be, I was, it was very confusing and I was somebody who was always intellectually curious and I still was looking for answers like that never stopped. You know, I had such big questions about, well, how were people destroying the planet? When did this start and why did it continue? And what were actually the activities that were the most damaging? And, you know, at what point in history was this a thing? And what did we do before that? And what are we doing now? Like I wanted the whole story. The problem Mm -hmm. is that agriculture is really the moment. And I, couldn't face that as a vegan because of course I had already taken up this idea that agricultural foods were the way we were going to save everything. So honestly, that was, it was like the angel I wrestled for 20 years. It, I couldn't face it. And yet I wanted to know, and then I didn't want to know because it would feel so threatening. So it was this real back and forth of, am I going to read this book or not? And then, okay, I'll try to absorb this information, but I can't really because I'm feeling very threatened by it. What will it mean if I go ahead and actually look at the history of what agriculture is? And so that went on for 20 years as well. You know, as my health is slowly degrading, I am, in fact, accumulating a whole bunch of counterfactual stuff that has all the answers, but I didn't want to look at it. So that went back and forth for a long time. And then add to that, I had my own experiments. I really wanted to have a little homestead and I wanted to be self-sufficient and you know, it was the best thing you could do for the planet. And I was also just really into it. You know, I loved gardening, all of this. So the more I got into all that, like I was not liking the answers because I had to kill things to grow my food. I wasn't going to do it. Where did that leave me? And of course, at the end of the day, animals eat plants and plants eat animals. And the only way to have healthy soil was to add dead animals. I needed blood meal and bone meal and all kinds of soil amendments. And I, there was no way to do it as a vegan. Can you share what you did in the film and your story about the slugs? Slugs, yeah. Oh it's my god! Such a story. So, <laughs> so here I am. I'm so determined. I'm going to grow my own food, and this is the righteous thing. But I also loved doing it. I loved being outside. I loved having my hands in the dirt. At that point, mm. I was suffering from such terrible depression from being a vegan. I didn't know that then. And the being in the garden really made me feel alive in a way that nothing else did. And it gave me such joy and such hope just to be kind of part of of life, feel the sunshine, see the flowers, watch the birds, just being a part of that whole cycle was so restorative to me, like in a really deep level. And I I just loved Mm -hmm. my garden. So I was out there, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm I'm reading all these books about how to be a good gardener. And it's so cute looking back on it. I have like these notebooks where I took notes and I'm trying to understand like cucumbers, you have to plant them every year. They don't come back. Like, wow. And I had these lists of like annual vegetables. It was like this huge oh, revelation. So I know. It was like this revelation to me. How old, had, how old were you at the in time? My, in my 20s. I mean, I grew up in this really kind of urban, suburban environment. 
I didn't know where my food came from. I had no idea what any of it looked like. So this was mm-hmm. like a big deal. Like, okay, cucumbers. So you would, you, can you grow them outside with seeds? Do you have to start them indoors? And the, so I have these lists, you know, like what's an annual, which is basically everything. Um, you know, especially <laughs> living in New England. I was like, none of this stuff was going to last over the winter. <laughs> you're crazy yeah. if you think you're going to do that. But also like, okay, what could be transplanted? What could you start early? It's like, oh, this is fascinating. You can start like, you know, little pots of things and you can get them to be a foot tall before you put them outside in May. And like I had, you know, I was trying to understand all of it. And just those notebooks are really cute. Anyway, so now I have a garden and I'm out there and I'm planting. And of course, what do slugs like to do? Well, they really like to eat small tender things like lettuce. It's young, especially. So I, you know, I've got my beds all ready to go and I, I buy some starts and I put the little lettuce babies in the, in the ground. And then in the night, the slugs came and ate it all. Well, that's predictable. So I was like, well, I'll just do it again. So I went to the store and I got more. And of course, the night, the slugs ate it all. And this went on like round after round where I just keep doing the same thing and hoping for a different result because it doesn't end well as a vegan. Eventually, I have to face facts like this is what's going to happen every single night. You're never going to get anywhere. It's the slugs are going to come and they're going to eat everything every single night. All right. Well, what do I do? What are my options? So I said, all right, is there an organic way to kill slugs? I don't want to kill slugs. I mean, I don't want to kill anything. The whole point of this diet is that no animals suffer. No animals die. It's 100% peaceful. You can live in harmony. No death on your hands. I don't want to kill the slugs. So, but I start reading. What do you, what do you do about the slugs? And there's not really much you can do. So there's ways to kill them that are nonviolent. Um, there's bait, but that, of course, a lot of that is quite toxic. And then it just bioaccumulates up the food chain. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. I mean, there's no way. So there has to be some happy, organic way. Well, there's diatomaceous earth, which is like ground up little tiny microscopic creatures that are very scratchy. And any soft-bellied insect that crawls across it will die. That includes slugs. The problem is it seems like a really horrible way to die because they basically die of dehydration. And I'm assuming it takes two or three days. And it's like, yeah, I can't do that. That just seems like torture. They don't, they can't scream. So we don't know it, but that is how they die. So still there has to be something better. And then I remembered my grandmother talking about when I was a kid, talking about beer in the garden. And then I did read in some of the organic books that I had. Oh yeah. They love beer. So if you put out little saucers of beer, little cups of beer, they'll, they'll, they were just like Die a drunk. magnet. Yeah. And they drink it and they get drunk just like you or I would and they drown, but they die happy and probably on a happy death. So I was like, well, if that's how they have to go, at least, you know, they'll be giggling or whatever. So that's probably the, that I can't think of a better way. I can't, I don't know what else to do. So I put out, I went, I'd never bought beer before in my life. I don't drink. So I went to the store, I bought like cheap, whatever, like bottles of beer. All right, fine. And I, make little, little tofu, the little plastic tofu tubs. I put those out in the garden. I I pour in the beer and I go to sleep with a really heavy heart. I wake up at two in the morning and I can't do it. I'm in a complete panic, drenched in sweat. I'm killing animals. This, I can't do this. I can't do it. It's horrifying to my soul. So I ran outside. I save the slugs. I dump out all the beer. I feel such tremendous relief. Okay. I don't have to do this. I don't have to kill them. And that's it. So I go back to bed and then in the morning I just decide, well, that's it. I'm, I just won't have lettuce. Maybe there's some of the tougher vegetables will probably make it through, but I just won't have lettuce. It's not the end of the world. I won't grow it. I'll grow other things instead. 
zucchini or something, and then that's life. I just won't. And I felt pretty happy with that for a few hours. And then I went to the store. I'm going to have to buy lettuce now. And I remember standing there in that grocery store and just feeling such relief. Like it was, I could just not think about it anymore. I can enter that realm again where my diet involves no death and no pain and no suffering and nothing bad happens to a single animal. And it's just such a relief. And I picked up that head of lettuce, lovely organic, locally grown lettuce, and I'm holding it in my hands. And I swear to God, that was the moment I grew up. I felt it happen in my brain. Mm. And the thought was, who are you fooling? You know now what is involved in growing lettuce. Whoever grew this lettuce went through the exact same thing you have gone through and they have killed slugs and probably lots of other stuff too. Yeah. Deer and rabbits and God, Chipmunks, woodchucks, chip, bunnies, anything, right? Anything Soft that little moves. Bunnies, they all want that lettuce. You are in competition yeah. to get your food. You're going to have to do something. Definitely yeah. the slugs, earwigs, all kinds of hornworms, whatever is in that garden eating your food, you have to get rid of it. If you can't repel it, you have to kill it. And especially a farmer is not going to take any chances. They're not going to be out there every night doing what I was doing. There's no way they've taken care of the slug problem. Because you're part of the cycle of life. I know. know? And that was the moment. I I I understood it because I had done it myself. I had seen Mm -hmm. there were no good options. And I'm holding that head of lettuce going, there are dead animals of lettuce. Now you can pay somebody else to do it for you and do it in the best way they can. You're buying the local organic stuff. You can do it yourself. And stop pretending. But either way, you know the truth of this now. You know it because you've tried it yourself. There are dead animals in this lettuce. There's nothing you can eat. And in the soil, as you said, and I want to point this out, and you said there's bone, there's bone meal and blood uh, meal. Blood meal. (laughs) Blood meal. And I don't know if a lot of, I mean, you're bringing up such an important point. I don't know if a lot of vegetarians and vegans realize that. They don't. I didn't until I tried it. I didn't. And, and you can't had, grow anything without it, right? You can't. And I remember having, after I had already sort of figured all this out, mm-hmm. I remember having these exact conversations with people who were a little bit behind me in line and they're completely right. horrified. Oh, I thought I was behind from this organic farm. And then I read more about what they were doing. And it's like dead animal parts all over in the soil. What is blood and it's bone? I'm like, yeah, sweetheart, try to have a garden. You'll see. There's no way you have to have manure. You have to add all of those amendments Mm -hmm. because every time you grow annual, any kind of annual, whether it's a grain, whether it's a vegetable, that's the nature of annuals. They do not have deep roots because they're not alive for very long. They have very shallow root systems. They do what's called mining the soil because they take Mm -hmm. minerals out and they have no way to replace them. Now, perennial plants are different. Perennial plants can do other things. But all the things we eat that are annuals, which is almost all the plants that we eat, there's very few that are perennial. That's going to be the nature of it. And you have to replenish what you've taken out. Every single load of vegetables off of that farm is a load of minerals that the plants took. And now you're going to eat and you're going to flush down your toilet and you're going to use them in the process of your life moving along. But somebody has to put them back or you're going to have nothing but a desert at the end of the day. And I even talked to people who were vegans like me, who had been doing it, you know, had started before I was. And they're like, yep, Mm -hmm. the soil is completely dead. It's true. We can't really grow anything anymore. 
And then one year we had an exchange student from Germany who lived in our front room and she went out and got some manure because we wouldn't do it. And we have never had such good vegetables. I remember this woman telling me this and I was like sort of coming to the same realization. And it was like, so are we just going to pretend that we don't know this now? Because we both experimented and you're willing to go back to basically a dead garden. I still want to grow something, but we're at the same point where we've seen with our own eyes what is necessary to grow. And we understand even yeah. some of the principles of why. Like, I know what's in manure that plants need. I totally get it. There's nowhere else to get it. It's just literally what soil is, is dead plants and dead animals. Yeah. And so there it was. So I so I didn't kill those slugs and I bought that lettuce instead. But honestly, there was no turning back. Like, that was a real watershed moment for me where I just, mm -hmm. I had to realize it's just the basic algebra of being alive. And it made me incredibly sad. And also, there's that way that you just bear up under the yoke of being an adult. Like, these are my responsibilities. What I have now is a set of choices where I can do it well, acknowledge what I've done, realize there's death involved in every last thing I'm going to eat, mm -hmm. be grateful to the universe, say thank you, be a good participant on this planet, be a good human, be a good adult, or I can keep pretending that none of this is true and just feel self-righteous. And those were the, it was so stark, but those are my options. So, you know, I went the other path because it, it seemed obvious at that point. I couldn't go back. I couldn't pretend not to know what I knew. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't have any, really any real regrets for how I had gotten there because I had to learn it. You know, I don't, I, again, I'm from this very urban suburban environment. It wasn't like there was wisdom to pass down to me where anybody was going to explain this. I had to do it trial and error, figure it out with my own eyes, see what was true. I will say that the moment of great solace to me was talking to a friend. And I know this is a little bit cliche at this point, but she was Native American and she just looked at me with like so much compassion, a little bit of pity. I'm telling her this whole story about the mm -hmm. slugs and, you know, she just nods her head very sagely and just says, you know, yes, for something to live, something else has to die. And it's so clear. It's like, you know, I've known this since I was four. I don't know what is wrong with you people. How do you not know this? I will give you this wisdom because you clearly need it. And she was so kind about it, honestly, but it really helped me in that moment because mm. she had it. She encapsulated it so beautifully. And clearly this was something she had been taught her whole life to live in that kind of humbleness, to understand that her life was dependent on the entire you know, web of life and that our role as humans is simply to be grateful and do it well. She had it like she knew it. So here, poor little white girl, I'll give you a little piece of wisdom. <laughs> I don't know. what. Well, how did you how are you alive that you don't know this? But it was great and it really helped. And it. I really, I held on to that one for a good year. Like every time I like, remember that, remember that is the truth of it. There's something yeah. to live. Something else has to die. Cause, oh man, I struggled with that. It's still, I don't like it. I wish that the other could be true. I do. It's not. I, it's not. I, I just, if I could I know, just live I on sunlight and never hurt anything, I would be so happy, but it's not the reality of being human. And honestly, those plants are eating too. And they're killing mm -hmm. things to get their food. We don't see it because it happens slowly, but it's the same process. I mean, they're eating animals. We're eating plants. We're eating animals. Animals are eating plants. And in the end, the soil eats us all. And we all have ways yeah. to do that. It's, you know, plants are different because they don't run and they don't have teeth, but they absolutely kill animals. And, you know, they've got their ways. They are, they're, 
the original chemical warfare experts, and they know what they're doing out there. So when was it on the timeline that you saw this lovely practitioner of Chinese medicine? <laughs> so that was 20 years in. I had already pretty well wrecked my body. We can jump ahead a minute. Some of it did get better. There were conditions mm -hmm. I was able to cure. Yeah, I was going to ask you about better, what was... Yeah. Some of it's just never going away. It's, it's too long. It was too late, which he told me to, I mean, when I went to see him. Anyway, he was like a friend of a, a, blah, 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 a Qigong practitioner, and he did all kinds of different kinds of traditional Chinese medicine. He was from China himself and mm -hmm. had moved here as kind of a young, a young person. And he lived in San Francisco and all this. But, you know, clearly, clearly an, just an expert in, in his field. And I mean, I saw him produce real miracles on people. So mm -hmm. it, it was, yeah, I mean, just really humbling. And also just the power of some of these systems of healing or you, you just have to have respect. For, yeah. When, when people are really experts and have studied for decades and, you know, put in their time, it, it really is what can be done for, for people who are ill. But anyway, so I, I, you know, I got an appointment and I went to see him and I don't know. The morning of was a little bit difficult for me because I, I kind of already knew what was coming. I, having done it for 20 years, I was sort of the last holdout in my social circle. Everybody else had already given up and a number of them had already tried to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, we can see what's wrong with you. And I know you don't want to hear this, but if you would eat you know, a little bit of fish, chicken, have a burger once a week, I can guarantee you'd be feeling better. And I really didn't want to hear it. Just like, nope, not me. I'm going to stay pure. I don't care if I die. You know, I don't believe it. I, I can't absorb this. Go away. And I, you know, and any number of times I had that conversation with people who really cared about me. Some of them were family members. Some of them were just good friends. And, you know, I didn't want to fight about it. So we would just drop it. I wasn't going to push the issue and neither were they. They knew better, but I could see it coming because I'd already watched people that I loved and respected had already been through it where you just have to face facts. And I had a very bad feeling that it was my turn to face facts. So I had some trepidation going in, but I don't know, I guess I was still hoping that he might be able to provide something, tell me some way to keep being a vegan and not die. But of course that was not true. So I lay down on the table and you know he starts asking me, what are your main concerns? And I explaining all my various pretty bad health problems. And he's like, all right, well, let me take your pulses. And of course, there's nothing there. And yeah, he just looked at me nothing. in utter wonder, just couldn't believe what he was feeling. And his eyes mm. just basically popped out of his head. He's like, you have no chi. Yeah. You have nothing. There's nothing. And, and can I explain that to yeah, people? In, in Chinese medicine, there are pulses on, you can feel in both sides of the left and the right wrist. And there's a certain quality, your chi, your vital energy tells you about, you know, your, your hormones. It tells you about the whether or not if you're blood deficient, if you're, you know, having issues with digestion. As with this practitioner myself, when I've had people that are so depleted, particularly I've seen with vegans and vegetarians, you can't feel anything there's nothing there. And it's a little scary. Yeah. He's just like, there's, how are you alive? Basically, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I'm dead. I'm a corpse. In fact, I'm a corpse dragging a corpse. I, there's nothing. I've got nothing left. And he's like, what do you eat? I was like, oh, here we go. So, well, I'm a <laughs> vegan, blah, blah, blah. And he's just nodding along, he's just looking at me with just really just sort of pure love in his eyes. Like you poor kid, like, what have you done? And then he's well, 
do you have a religious belief? Like, why are you so attached to this? And I just started crying and I was like, I don't want to hurt animals. He's like, yeah, but you know, the big fish eat the little fish. Yeah, but I'm not a fish. I'm a human being. I should be able to choose this peaceful way. It's just like, it's just not how it is. It's not, that's not reality. You're going to have to do this. It's like, well, what do you, what do you want me to, it's like, you got to eat meat. It's, there's, there's nothing else for you. It's, you can't do this. It's, you're going to die. <laughs> you can't keep yeah. on. Like, all right, all right. So I mean, he was very nice and he, you know, did his like chi thing over me. And it, I mean, it, yeah, I felt so much better for a few days, but it doesn't last. I mean, you, you have to have yeah. your own. You can't just borrow from other people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, this is the bad day. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I was fairly prepared. I mean, I, like I said, I did sort of know this was probably coming at me. And so my decision was, well, I'm going to get a can of tuna fish. So I won't have to cook anything. And in fact, this horrible, taboo, wretched thing called dead animals will not have to touch my plate or my silverware. Like it was that taboo for me. I mean, it was just absolutely horrifying that a dead animal was going to come into my house. And it's funny to remember that I felt that way, but I did feel that way very strongly. Like I really understood like sort of like the kosher and the halal, like all those people where it's unclean and you have to break the dish and bury it outside. I get it. I mean, it really felt that way. Like something horrifying was coming into the house. So I had my little, on the way home from that appointment, I stopped at the store and I got my little can of tuna fish, brought it in, popped the can and I had a plastic fork because I wasn't going to let it touch anything of mine. Any of your utensils. I know, not even, nothing. And I sat there with that can. I was like, well, this is your moment. You got to do it. You said you would. Now you got to do it. And it's win-win because if you take, if you eat this can of tuna fish and nothing happens, then he was wrong. And in fact, they're all wrong. And you can just keep being a vegan because eating meat doesn't help. Like you can prove it, that it doesn't help. So that's one option. Option B is, well, it does work. And then you were wrong, but at least there's a good way forward. Maybe feel better. So then you can feel better. And that's a win too. So either way, just get through this next five minutes and then you'll see what happens. So, man, it was hard though. I, having not eaten meat for 20 years, it was a tough, it was a long way from that can of tuna fish to my mouth. It was like, what am I doing? Oh my God, am I really going to do this? And then I put it in my mouth and I had barely swallowed it. And it was, I was transformed. I felt it the entire way down my throat hit my stomach. And then it was like every last cell in my body was suddenly recharging. It was like being plugged into a a low voltage battery. I don't even know what words to use. It was an extraordinary experience. And I felt alive for the first time in 20 years. And then I just lay on the couch and cried because it was over and there was no way around it. I was going to have to eat. It was really hard, but I also, the physical sensation of actual chi entering my body was like nothing else. Wow. Yeah. So that's what happened. So how many years now have you not been vegan? Yeah. So that was nice. It's been almost 20 years now. So yeah. Yeah. So it's 20 years doing it now, 20 years out, 21 years, I guess, out. Yeah. When you said you started noticing health issues almost right away when you became vegan, what did you start seeing? Right away, I would say within six weeks, two months, the blood sugar issues. So going up and down. Yeah, right? it was bad. It was the terrible roller coaster. 
And in, in my family, there's, I mean, everybody ends up diabetic. So we are clearly people who were never meant to eat carbohydrates. <laughs> and of course, you know, this is not that culture. Nobody says that. Nobody knows that. And, you know, by the age of 40 or 50, everybody in my family ends up doing it on the insulin. And my mother was, you know, had already been diabetic for a long time at that point. And she also had gestational diabetes. So, I mean, I was not, mm. I did not come with good genes for surviving an agricultural society. And I, so yeah, within maybe six weeks, I was already having that just, you know, you'd eat and then, you know, an hour or two later, eat, I don't even, it, if you haven't been through low blood sugar, you, it's really, it's hard to describe, but you start sort of shaking and sweating. And then there's this urge to eat that is like nothing you've ever felt. Like if I do not put food in my mouth, I think I'm going to die. Yeah. And that's the truth of it. And it's the reason is because our brains can only function in a really narrow range of blood sugar. And if it's, if the sugar is either too high or too low, it is a biological emergency. The way to keep that steady, of course, is to eat as low carb as you can and only occasionally eat sugar. You can handle it, you know, a bit now and then, but this, you know, when you're doing it three, four, five times a day, there's no way your insulin receptors are going to burn out. Your pancreas is going to burn out. And in the yeah. meantime, you're going to have all this damage from all that constant excess insulin floating around in your bloodstream. But I didn't know that. So all I knew was that I was like shaking and crying and was desperate to put some kind of food in my mouth. And the cravings are just insane. But that's your brain saying, you know, we've dipped too low. And if I don't get a little bit, you're going to start losing consciousness. So I immediately, you know, I'm putting a cookie or something in my mouth and you do feel better for 10 minutes, but the problem you're is you're going to crash yeah. again. So now you're on, you've, you've entered the roller coaster. You are in the seat, you've buckled in and it's going to be all day long up and down and up and down. And you can do that for decades. If you want, you're going to do damage though. So did you yeah. have a period? What happened with your menstrual cycle? <laughs> so that stopped maybe six months yeah. into being a vegan. It just it just kind of petered out. And every once in a while, I would get a period. And then months would go by and I wouldn't get one. Wow. And then I would maybe get a little one. And then months would go by and there wouldn't be one. So it was incredibly erratic and very sketchy. And anywhere from three months, nine months, a year would go by and there'd be nothing and I did actually bring that up with doctors more than once. I was just going to ask, did you bring this up with your docs? Yeah, and they would just be like, oh, well, it's all a mystery. Nobody ever asked what oh I Oh, my eat. God. Yeah, nobody asked you what you nobody. were eating. And I bet you were terribly anemic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And when did your thyroid go? That's hard to say. I remember having thyroid problems. Well, I didn't know that's what it was, but I remember that incredible exhaustion coming over me when I was mm. in mid-teen years. So I have Hashimoto's. Okay. And it's very likely it was the teenage onset. The problem is yeah. that, and there and there are autoimmune diseases in my family. This mm-hmm. this part of the story is actually a little bit interesting because I did not know we had autoimmune diseases. So all these decades, like if I had known, I would have demanded better tests, but I didn't know because nobody mm-hmm. told me. And it wasn't until like decades into this that I got the Hashimoto's diagnosis. And I mentioned it to my mother and she's like, Oh yeah, your your aunt Marge had um, Graves' disease. Don't you remember? And I was like, No, I was a tiny child. Why would I remember that? Like, Marge had long, was long dead. You know, she's like, No, no, she had Graves, and it was really hard back then to have, you know, thyroid disease. And then, you know, the more I poked, the more I found them. My mother had two autoimmune diseases, so like there it was. It's like in the female line, especially, we have these are these problems, and it's like nobody 
And I remember going to the doctor when I was 16 and saying, I'm so tired. I can barely move. And I, there's something wrong. Like I'm not supposed to feel this bad. I didn't feel this bad a year ago. There's something wrong. And oh, this just kills me now. He just patted me on the head and sent me home. I'm sorry. But they don't, you know what, when when you look at, in treating autoimmune, I always look at, there's a weak link in a family history. And my family, it's it's also thyroid. And I have thyroid issues. My mother had Hashimoto's, my sister had Graves, another one is hypo, it goes on. But I feel for me, it didn't progress because I changed the way I was eating. I cut certain things out of the diet. But when you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you're not getting the selenium. Nope. You're not getting the zinc. Nope. You're not getting iodine. Nope. And also part of the picture is, and I think we talked about this a little, vegetarians, particularly vegans, since there's no meat in the diet for a vegan, they're not producing hydrochloric acid. Right. You need hydrochloric acid. Yeah. It's important in, you need it to digest your food. You need it to signal the pancreatic enzymes. So when people are getting undigested food in their stool, there's absorption issues. And you hydrochloric acid is very, very important on many levels. And a lot of times when I'm looking at people with thought, and you have to look at if there's, somebody's anemic, you know, they're, the, the gut lining is not producing uh, the intrinsic factor, yeah. which is important in the production of B12. So hydrochloric acid is really <laughs> important stuff. Yeah. Well, so someone like you that has autoimmune, there was a weak link in the chain. Yeah. And it could have also been you're missing minerals. Your gut was compromised. If your gut's compromised, because you have an overgrowth of bacteria, your gut is leaky. Yeah. You're going to start that 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 autoimmune train going, and just, you know, if a teenage girl came into the doctor's office and said, "Oh, I'm oh God," you would think, "Okay, let's at least test her for iron deficiency. Maybe she's anemic. She's a teenage girl." But they nothing, don't. Nothing. He but gave they, me they nothing. still don't. <laughs> I have clients, <laughs> but but I have clients now. I'm like, your doc needs to check your ferritin levels, and they're like at fifteen. It's just, and I'm like, no, you have a thyroid issue. You need it to be up to 100. Also, I bring this up a lot, but iron is important to your thyroid. It's yeah. not just iodine. It's selenium and zinc. So all these things. But um, yeah, people don't, a lot of times women show up in my office and they've been vegetarian and vegan for years and they just, they're depleted. You know, I mean, yeah. you had, you probably had osteopenia that went into osteoporosis. And can you talk about, you? I mean, you live with pain, correct? Yeah, so I ended up, Oof. so two years into being a vegan, I I started with this really bizarre pain in the bottom of my spine and my lumbar spine. Mm. And of course, I went to doctor mm. after doctor and specialist. So this was the early 80s. They, they didn't mm. have MRIs back then. So part of it is, okay, they didn't have great diagnostic tools and the x-rays didn't bad. So they didn't really have much to do for me. So it really was going to be another decade still before I could get a real diagnosis. But it was the same thing where I, they really just didn't take me seriously because they just kept saying, you're too young. You're too young for back problems. And also there was no precipitating incident. I hadn't been in a car accident. I hadn't fallen out of an airplane. Like nobody, it was just like, why did you, I don't know why your spine hurts. So that nobody, went, well, I know. Wow. Nobody asked what you were eating. No, nobody asked. So then, you <laughs> no. know, a bunch of years later, I mean, this was a long time. It took almost mm. 20 years to get a diagnosis, but I finally did get signed that they did have MRIs. And I finally was able to get somebody to prescribe one. And then of course, mystery solved. They're like, well, 
your discs are non-existent. You like mm. killed your spine, kiddo. And I was like, oh, well, I can tell you why I did that. It's because I'm a vegan. I was a vegan. So I got that diagnosis finally as well. But And there, there's not much you can do for that. It, My pain level improved greatly from eating a more appropriate human diet, especially taking out the soy and mm. eating really, really good quality animal fats with all of those yeah. marvelous omega-3s and no omega-6s. You're yeah. going to draw down that inflammation like fairly dramatically. I don't know that, I mean, the problem with the joints and the, the discs is that they're really poorly vascularized. So once you get to generation, it's really not it's much. hard. Like, you can't really yeah. turn it around yeah. much. And mine went on way too long. Maybe if it had only been a year or two, there would have been more hope. But I will say that the last day of me being a vegan was, I mean, I could barely sit for 20 or 30 minutes at the time. I was in so much pain and I only mm. stood up when I had to. That's how much pain I was in. And now it's like, I can sit for 12 hours. I mean, I can get on an airplane and go visit my sister in Europe and I, I mean, it hurts, but it's not, I can handle it and I can walk for 30 minutes at a time. So my life is way bigger than just lying on the couch, which is where I ended. And wow. so I'll take what I can get. I mean, I feel like I got enough of a miracle that my life is way more way more doable and I'm not on fentanyl anymore. And, oh, you know, I can, I can, it's a way better life. It's, and it's as good as it gets. Like I've, this is the miracle I got. I'll have to take it. But, you mm. know, I, and I have heard, this is what kills me is hearing from other, you know, I get the emails, we all get those emails mm. and it's mm. uh, the people that I know who have my exact condition, degenerative discs, all of them. And I'm sure there's others out there who were in mm. car accidents, but everyone that I bump into who sends me emails, like, wow, I did the exact same thing as you did. I, you know, mm -hmm. I did veganism for 12 years or whatever, some chunk of time. And uh, here I am with my spine degenerating and no car accident, no, you know, no incident. It's, it's nutritional and there's and, and nothing people, they can do for me. Bone health is not just dependent on calcium and D, it's protein. Yeah, a lot of it. Bone integrity is protein. Yeah. And also the the way that our digestive system works, if you're not eating and, enough fat, you cannot absorb minerals. And when you're eating these ridiculous low fat, high carb diets, first of all, there's no minerals in the diet. Oh my Second God. Second of all, no. you're probably eating like you know, the healthy whole grain, whatever. There's nothing healthy about it. There's the, all of those substances, those grains, especially that you're eating have what are called anti-nutrients. And so these are substances. Mm -hmm. This is how plants fight it, back. Because it protects the plant yeah. and the seed. That's, I and mean, it, that's mother nature's yeah, way that's of how they, protecting that's how they the fight plant. Back. And they latch onto right. minerals and they suck them right back out of your body. Yeah. So even if you're eating all you could in the possibly in the whole world, it doesn't matter. If you're eating whole wheat and brown rice, you're not going to get any, especially yeah. soy. It sucks it right back out and you're, you're worse than when you started because you need a little bit to digest. So you're, you're borrowing from your bones and teeth to digest your food. Yeah. On the, the theory is you'll get it back because you're supposed to be eating, oh, what do you know, a grass-fed ruminant from the African savanna. That's what we evolved eating, but you're not. You're eating whole wheat, so you're not getting any put back. So you're drawing down your bank account every time you eat, which is what I did. You know, a lot of times when I have people starting back that have been vegan or vegetarian, I immediately put them on HCL, hydrochloric yeah. acid, because I haven't produced any. And I yeah. find sometimes that some people that have given up meat, it's because I had a difficult time digesting yeah. it to begin with. And I'm like, because you weren't digesting your food. I still yeah. take betaine hydrochloride. I've been taking that for yeah. almost 20 years now. And this is a fascinating yeah. story because the doctor who told me to take that never yeah. even met me in person. We were on a forum together online and it was a lot of ex-vegans were on the forum. It was like a Western oh, Price, gosh. you know, yeah. native mm -hmm. nutrition kind of mm -hmm. thing. And he was yeah. one of the medical practitioners who, you know, weighed in really frequently. He was a wonderful guy. And I 
And I, so people would put, oh, I still have this problem. I've, you know, mm. been eating this way for a few years, but this hasn't changed. And lots of people would give advice. It was a really supportive group. A lot of us were, were recovering vegans. And so I was like, oh, what the hell? I'll mention my stomach problem. So it's like, yeah, so I feel sick every single time I eat, every single day, oh, every single day. I have to not eat for about 48 hours. And then, oh my God, you weren't digesting. It just sat in your belly. Lump in my my stomach. It was a bowling ball every time I ate. That had been going on for decades. And he wrote to me privately and was like, oh, you're the one who was like that 20 year crazy vegan, right? I'm like, yeah, that was me. (laughs) He's like, I can tell you what's wrong and I'm going to tell you how to fix it. Go to the store. I'm going to buy this stuff over the counter. It's called betaine hydrochloride. Take four every single meal. Talk to me in two weeks. And he fixed it. Yeah. It was gone. And I was like, what the hell? What did, what do you, how did you know? He's like, how did I know? Please. It's so obvious what you did. So he walked me through the whole yeah. thing and I've been That's able to sweet. pull that trick for other people. So I was like, oh, you feel sick all the time. Let me tell you what you did and here's how to fix it. And it can't hurt you. You might as well try it. You can buy it over the counter, but I still have to take it every day. It's just, it's a slow recovery on that one. But it's good that you found that. Oh, yeah. It's good. I mean, it changes people's lives going Uh, on. Not to feel sick every single moment. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. Well, you know, it's anybody that and and what I see a lot with vegetarians after a couple of years and they end up in my office like crying. They're constantly bloated. They're constipated. They're starting to get hellacious acne. Yeah. And it's because suddenly their body was like, I can't do this. And you know this, and we talked about it, and I think you've mentioned it in in some of your videos because I've watched quite a few. (laughs) Beans are a carb. I know. Grains are a carb. They have a little bit of protein. They are a carb. You're constantly eating carbs, and then you're telling your stomach, oh, we don't need hydrochloric acid. Right. So you're not digesting your food. And then what happens with many, and you've seen this with your friends, they wake up one day and they're like, or you you had, I feel like shit. I feel awful. Yeah. And they 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 end up, then they get small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and they get constipated and then their thyroid acts up and it's because they need protein. And what do you, I don't know, maybe, maybe you can share some insight. They're saying that most women that decide to become vegan or vegetarian, usually vegan, between 15 and 34. Are we seeing more? I'm seeing maybe it's because I live in a college town, college in Charleston. I've never seen so many vegans in my life that then down here. It's really hard. Well, the, the good thing is that when I went vegan, there really was no other information out there. It seemed like the right thing. You know, you you make all those arguments about saving the planet and saving the animals and saving your health. And there was no counterfactual to that. You just Mm. fall in. Now it's different. Like if if you do have questions, you can find better information. You can find all the books, the videos, the movies that will explain how ruminants and grass are the only way forward. If you want to save this planet, that's what you have to do. Well, that's why I would recommend for people to watch Sacred Cow. That is just based on science. She did oh, a she's beautiful, so good. I, oh, I thought she was, yeah, she was great. She's a good friend of yours. I'm not a good friend, but I've met her a few times and I just Oh, okay. Love her. You guys seem to connect well. We did. I mean, that's why we like yeah. each other. We just instantly, oh, oh, I know you. I know you. It's just one of those, yeah. you just get so, people right away. Like, and yeah. people can... Yeah. Watch it online. I think it's important. But also what happens with a lot of vegans and vegetarians, and this goes for most Americans, we eat processed foods. So you have 
somebody who's following a vegetarian diet and they're eating all this snacky, pseudo, yeah. vegetarian, there's no protein, it's refined, it's carbs. And I have a hard time with this fake meat. Oh, oh my it's God. It's wretched stuff. I will say it one is good wretched. thing about when I became a vegan, because it was 1980 mm-hmm. or whatever, none right. of that existed yet. So back yeah. in the day, we didn't have that like weird hyper-processed soy. Oh my God. You really did just have to eat rice and beans. With you canola had, oil. I know, right? You had to cook every day. <laughs> Those processed soy things are the, they are poison. They are yes, toxic. Yeah. Whatever else your listeners decide to eat or not eat, take that out of your diet now. Out yeah. of your diet. They are yeah. just it toxic. leaches minerals. They yeah, are it's not wretched in every way. Yeah. And they're so processed. They're just loaded with aluminum because they have to go through so much processing to make them even vaguely edible. Soy is not edible. Let's just remember that. Okay, Don't do it. And at that point, you've got so many phytoestrogens. You are going to mess, man or woman, you are going to mess with just your basic you know, generative organs, all that whole hormone system. You're going to mess it up so badly with all those phytoestrogens. Just well, don't touch it. You know, I have clients that say, well, the, you know, Asians have a lot of soy in their diet. Like, I was in Vietnam. I worked in a in, in a hospital and clinic in the compound. Do you know how much soy we had? Like a teeny bit. It was yeah. fish and chicken. Yeah. It was, you know, that's why I said, and yes, and pork. pork. They love pork. Yes. But it wasn't this soy. Yeah. The, if you want to eat a little bit of soy as a condiment, then eat the, the traditional kinds. Miso should be fermented for a year. I was just going to say fermented. Yes. that. It's because yeah. it does actually degrade some of the anti-nutrients. And right. then they eat it with right. fish broth. And gosh, what do you know? Fish broth will have a lot of minerals to counteract mm-hmm. what the soy is yep. going to take out. And then all that iodine to help with your thyroid yeah. because they realize, I don't want to say they had the same words for it. They didn't have microscopes, yeah. but this is the like the joy of traditional nutrition, the wisdom of yeah. it. They figured it yeah. out. If we eat this, if we highly ferment it and eat it with fish broth, we don't have bad effects from it. So if you want to do that, make yourself some fish broth, add some real miso to it, maybe mm-hmm. a tiny little chunk of tofu in there as a condiment, feel, have at it, feel free. But as a protein yeah. substitute, the only people historically who ever did that were monks. And you know why? Because they knew that it lowered their sex drive. It's really hard to be a young person, you know, taking a vow of celibacy. It's really hard to be 18 years old and decide you're not going to have sex. They knew it helped, which it does. Because it's a fake hormone that will disrupt your, you know, your basic generative hormone system. Like, yes, you'll have a lower sex drive and that will help if you're going to be a monk at age 18. They knew that. I feel very fortunate that a lot of the women that come to see me, I explain to them the the value and importance of having meat, animal protein in their diet, but also the plate is still 70% plant-based. I'm all about a lot of greens starchy veggies, and lean protein. And again, I find interesting, people don't eat enough protein. We say we eat too much. People don't eat enough. There should be protein with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It satiates people. It keeps their blood sugar stabilized. And you just feel better. Well, just remember all of the your neurotransmitters in your brain. Yes, like your the thing that makes it They're all amino acids. It's all protein. <laughs> Like we all know, we've all heard of serotonin at this point, like Prozac sort of popularized that because of serotonin reuptake. So Mm. pretty much everybody's heard about serotonin, but it's made from tryptophan. That's what it is. And tryptophan is an amino acid that is basically non-existent in plants. You really can only get it from eating meat. 
And this is one of the reasons that people who go on these kinds of diets end up really depressed really quickly. You can't really store it in your body either. Like you need no. a constant steady supply of it. And if you're not getting it, you're going to be depressed. And the, and the other thing that really hooks in here is that, you know, the way that we treat animals on top of everything else, mm -hmm. we're yeah. producing meat that's really not edible. It The no. amino acid profile, so the proteins. Of and conventional. Then, yeah, yeah and then the, totally the fatty different. acid pro profile, the fats are completely wrong. And it's because the animals are eating the wrong thing. When they're eating a lot of corn, corn doesn't have the right stuff in it for the cows. So it also is very low in tryptophan. So the cows themselves end up being tryptophan deficient. And you could eat all of that from one end of the day to the other. You're not going to get enough tryptophan because it's not there. And again, the omega omega sixes are going to be way too high, and the omega threes yeah. are, are not are too low. You have to eat animals that had good lives. It's the only way to get the right nutrition. And, and I try to stress that with clients is there's a big difference between conventional red meat, yeah, and a grass fed, yeah, grass finished, yeah. you know, and it tastes different yeah. too. I can't oh, eat totally that. Totally tastes different. I, I just hate like, it's just, ugh, it tastes terrible. And I'm, this is not a moral judgment. I honestly don't like no. how it tastes. And then yeah. it's like, oh, I like when, if I'm at a restaurant or if I'm traveling, it's, I just don't even bother. I'm not going to eat it. It right. just tastes gross. And then I get home and I'm like, oh, thank God, my grass-fed beef. I'd like shovel it in. It's so delicious. And it's, yeah, it tastes, and you can tell it just has a totally different profile. The moment it hits your tongue, it tells you that. Like, this isn't good. What? words of wisdom or that you could share with someone that's kind of struggling with this vegan, vegetarian approach to life where they can start introducing meat, what would you say to them? We have two options and there's no death-free option. Okay. That's, you have to face that as hard as it is. And it's a hard day. If, if you've wanted to believe this, it's a beautiful fairy tale, but it's, it's not reality. And that's hard. So you have to get over that day. But once you do accept your adult knowledge, your adult responsibilities, we've got two options. So we can participate in the death that is killing everything, or we can participate in the death that is making the cycle of life stronger. And those are our only options. So you can take the factory farming route, the annual grain route. That is what's killing the planet. Yes. Okay. You can opt out of that. You can actually choose this whole other way where people are repairing the water table. They are sequestering carbon mm -hmm. oil. They are repairing the local waterways and you know the streams and the rivers are all being repaired. And all of that habitat is coming back. So birds and small mammals and reptiles have a place to live. And who also lives there is a ruminant like a cow. And she keeps the place healthy by the actions of just staying alive, by eating the grass. It actually stimulates the sequestering of carbon because it yes. makes the grasses stronger if you do it right. So there are, mm -hmm. there are people who know how to do this. They've studied it all over the world. They are repairing grasslands by using these methods and restorative farming. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. So look up Alan mm -hmm. Savory, you know, look up soil for climate is a great group. You can learn these principles. You can understand them. You can do them or not, depending on, you know, what your life is, but you can go to those farms. You can see how much topsoil they're building. You can see how happy the animals are. You can see that there are birds everywhere. And you can support that local farmer by buying that food. And it will be the best mm. thing you've ever eaten. It will awesome. it'll restore your health as well, as well as restoring yeah. the, you know, the local rural community. You know, you're restoring the, the economic potential of those places. And the, you know, the farmers can actually earn a living. All of those good things can happen all by one simple act. And it's just find the farms that are doing it well. And you, you can get it back. You can get your health 
we can repair the planet. It's not too late, but it's a very different path than the vegan path. So the values that underlie that are the correct values, right? It's compassion and love and justice and sustainability and questioning human hubris like all of that is in place if you have the urge to be a vegan you know those are the correct values the question is how do we best put those values into action in the world and there's the vegan option was not actually the right way i thought it was but when i got more information it it wasn't so you don't have to change who you are you can still care about those things with all your heart but there's better information out here and it's well worth taking a look Amen. That is so well said. And, and I say to clients, it's not a question of what you want. It's a question of what your body needs. Yeah. And you have to listen to that. Lear, thank you so much. Thank you for being here and having this incredible conversation. Thank you for sharing your time. And I will include your website sure. in my show notes. And do you want to share with us? You have a book. You're going on a book tour. What yeah, is this my, new my book? My book is out tomorrow, officially. Oh, my gosh. And it's called Break Green Wise, and I, I wrote it with two of my friends, Derek Jensen and Max Wilbert, and it's all about how the environmental movement has been led astray and how we can get our movement back and a lot of the very strange myths that are floating around out there about what we can do to save the planet. So that's basically it. So, yeah, take a look. My website, we've already done some talks, and you, know, you can read things and whatever if you're interested. Good, and I will I include that. So everyone, thank you for listening in. And I hope that this provided some insight for many of you. And again, Leah, thank you so much. And until next time, everyone, be good, take care, enjoy that juicy burger, and I will see you soon.